Airlines Confidential with Ben Valdanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. Aerodata, the leading edge in flight performance data. Visit aerodata.co. Aerodata is a Garmin company. Sidley Austin, the destination law firm for leading airlines and aviation companies. Visit sidley.com aviation. And Seabury Securities, global reach, global scale. SeaburySecurities.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at AirlinesConfidential.com. Chris Chimes here, and this is Airlines Confidential. And just about now, Ben Baldanza is going to jump in and say hello. Hey, Chris. Yes, I'm jumping in and with both feet. Time for another show. I was about to say it's time to make the donuts, but I'm not sure how many people would remember that old Dunkin' Donuts commercial or get my joke. So let's just get to the news and then our discussion with Eric Sabaston, the founder and president of RTAG, a thriving nonprofit that is helping to get more new hire pilots into the cockpit. Ben, our friend Dave Nealman continues to work his magic with his Brazilian operation at Azul, getting more and more attention. Lots of buzz about the prospects for the stock right now after a stellar second quarter, and they were crowing about being the most reliable on-time airline in the world in July, and they claimed the most on-time crown in March as well. It's taking its first Airbus 350 soon after multiple delays, so lots going on. Latin America is looking to coalesce around several fierce competitors, and restructurings and consolidations are wrapping up. So who do you like down there? Well, I like a lot of what David's doing. He's always been a magician, to use your words, in putting together great airlines and great ideas. They're clearly running a great show there. Brazil is an economy that's moved up and down. At one point when Brazil was down, David Nealman invested in TAP and sent some planes over there, and I think that helped both companies. But now Brazil is doing much better, and Azul is the beneficiary of that. That's great. I love what they're doing in almost all ways, except I'm nervous about the Airbus A350. I love that plane, Chris. It's a terrific airplane. However, when an all-narrow-body airline takes on a wide body, strange things sometimes happen. It gets overemphasized within the management team. The plane is so expensive and it's so big that everyone focuses on it and maybe they lose their eye on the ball that got them to the place where they thought they needed the wide body in the first place. We've seen that in smaller airlines like WOW when it brought on its wide body. Azul is much bigger than that. And I'm not saying they're not ready for that plane right now. And again, I'm not saying it's not a good airplane because it's a great airplane. 
But something happens at an airline when they take on a wide body, it changes a lot at the airline. So whether David can sort of keep the magic at Azul and yet integrate a wide body is a real interesting thing. Now, getting to your question of who do I like down there, Latam has always been sort of the big player there, you know, since they were sort of first at consolidating multiple countries. Avianca, after a successful bankruptcy filing, uh, lowered their costs significantly and are building a LATAM-like operation, having really consolidated the Colombian market by buying their largest domestic competitor, Viva Colombia, and then doing deals with carriers in Brazil, Chile, and others. And so I feel good about them. They have probably lower cost than LATAM since that's really what Avianca focused on in the near term. Azul is obviously Brazilian based and that's the biggest economy there. Whether David Nealman has ideas to expand beyond Brazil and set up operations in some of the other large economies there, none as large as Brazil, of course, um, is interesting. So in the meantime, he's Brazil, whereas Latam and Avianca are now sort of pan-Latin America. So I think you'd have to bet on one of those two, and I'd probably go with Avianca because of their what they did with their costs in chapter 11. But Brazil is the biggest place, so I wouldn't count out David Nealman ever. And if he wants to take the idea of Brazil and then at some point expand into other economies there, he'd have a really good shot at that, I think. Yeah, all good points. I mean, David has figured out ways to not get tripped up in the manner that other new entrants have or growing airlines have. So he's proven to be pretty nimble and um, he's done it again with Azul and how he's moved their assets around, like you said, taking planes to tap for a while. So what to see? I mean, the LATAM thing is still to be decided. I mean, their alliance with Delta is not yet in place and there's still a lot more that they have to get done. But it, it's it's fascinating to see the continent coalescing to use that word again, around three, maybe four big players, kind of like what's going on in North America, and then with some ultra-low-cost carriers and some regional carriers and the like. But um, they, they look like they're moving to the light with regard to let's build a strong industry with strong players across the continent. So let's hope that plays out. Well, there's a billion people on that continent from tip to Panama or something close to that. So they need strong airlines for sure. Ben, in your neighborhood of Northern Virginia, there's a new international player coming. We've already talked a bit about the new Icelandic carrier Play that has been flying from Iceland to Europe and filling some of the void left by WOW. Well, Play's service from Washington, Dulles to Reykjavik went on sale in late August with fares as low as $99. 
I feel like I've seen this movie before, Ben. Did you snag a ticket? I didn't get a ticket on this one yet. I was kind of surprised that they picked Washington Dulles over BWI only because BWI has a lot more natural connectivity from Southwest and others. I'm not suggesting that Play has alliances with any of those carriers, but it's real easy for customers to use natural connections. And Baltimore seems to have more of that Dulles is a united hub. Um, other airlines serve it as a destination point. But if you're not going to connect with United, which maybe at some point play will, then it's almost like you're kind of playing alone at Dulles. So that was a surprise to me that they went there versus BWE, but it also differentiates them some. And Dulles and BWE aren't the exact same market, so it brings in a different market. And Reykjavik's a wonderful city, and Iceland's a great place to travel. So I hope that people take advantage of these really low fares, and I hope that play finds a way to make that route work 12 months a year because it's not always nice in Iceland as nice as it is in August. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seems a little uh, counterintuitive to be launching service into the colder part of the year, but that's not for me to decide. And, you know, certainly the $99 fares got people talking about them. I mean, we are. So let's see what happens. More Airlines Confidential in a moment, which is sponsored in part by Sidley Austin, the destination law firm for leading airlines and aviation companies transforming the skies. From the ramp to the boardroom, Sidley provides the broadest range of legal services to clients on the most critical issues facing our industry today. Sidley combines unmatched experience with top-tier capabilities across a vast global footprint. Print. Visit sidley.com slash aviation for more information. And this week's show is brought to you by Pratt & Whitney, a world leader in aircraft engines, helicopter engines, and auxiliary power units. The Pratt & Whitney GTF engine is the only geared propulsion system delivering industry-leading sustainability and the dependable world-class operating costs that it boasts. With up to 20% less fuel and CO2 emissions, The GTF engine has revolutionized commercial aviation and set the foundation for more sustainable aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. Coming up, our very enlightening conversation with Eric Sabiston about how airlines can do a better job hiring military veterans. This portion of Airlines Confidential is sponsored in part by Sidley Austin. From the ramp to the boardroom, the destination law firm for leading airlines and aviation companies transforming the skies. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. Our guest this week is Eric Sabiston, who's a pilot for American Airlines and also the co-founder and president of RTAG, which is the Veterans to Aviation Charity. Eric, we're glad to have you with us. We're going to solve the pilot shortage today, so let's get going. Definitely do that, yes. (laughs) Let's start by you telling us and our listeners about yourself and your career and a little bit about RTEG. You guys want to keep the podcast going every week, right? You don't want me to make everybody fall asleep, right? (laughs) Um, All right, fine. You you talked me into it. So basically, I started out as a mechanic um, in the military part-time, and then I became a full-time guy. 
uh, in the army. Then I became a pilot. And then after several years, about 15 years in the army, I ended up transitioning to the civilian world and I became an, a regional airline pilot. But I noticed how difficult it was not only for pilots and mechanics, but also for companies to recruit. I thought it was just outrageous, the prices that everybody had to pay. And I thought if we could make this more streamlined and make it cheap or free, that we'd have something you know pretty special. And uh, I joined a couple of my friends in creating a Facebook group that evolved into an actual hiring event, an annual hiring event. And now our tag is by many estimations, uh, one of the largest, if not the largest hiring charity in America. We add between 83 and 267 new members every week. And so that's basically our goal. We're here to help veterans, but we're also here to help the industry find new ways to, to uh, fill those cockpits and uh, hire man- mechanics and maintainers uh, for cheap or free. What a fantastic effort, Eric. And it's great to see this kind of proactivity for the industry. So let's establish your point of view on a big topic in the industry right now. Is there a pilot shortage or isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> Man, what a tough question. Well, I'll say this. I've thought about this a lot. I think about it all the time, like I'm sure you gentlemen do. I don't know if there's a pilot shortage so much as there's a pathway shortage. You know, after Vietnam, we realized that um, the military was a great source of pilots for the industry. Uh, my uncle was a United guy. It took him 25 years to upgrade to captain because, you know, right above him were all these Vietnam era fixed wing pilots. But now as the military has shrunk after the Cold War ended and it's become an all-volunteer military, there's less opportunity to get your training there. And in the civilian world, the price has only gone up. So I don't think that there's a pilot shortage. I think there's a pathway shortage. And if you look at the price of uh, flight training these days, it's into the six-figure area. Our tag, on the other hand, can take any veteran. I don't care if they were a cook. (laughs) I don't care if they were an infantryman. We can take them from no flight time all the way to their ATP for free. Tell us a little bit more about that. What are the RTAG resources that you bring to the table? How many people do you work with? You talked about how many new members you have joining every week or on a monthly basis, but where does your funding come from? How many pilots do you think you'll place in 2022? Kind of lay it out there for us. Yeah, for sure. So the resources that, that Arteg has, primarily we're a mentorship organization that's done online via social media. And we have not only mentorship, but we also create pathways with not only regional, but also major airlines, pathway programs that will help veterans get the training they need. Uh, we also provide, you know, the scholarships, you know, we're well into the six-figure area with that. And, you know, what's cool about Arteg, guys, is I think that Arteg's unique in that 100% of everything we bring in the door goes to scholarships. Not one of us on the staff takes any money for what we do. It's primarily run by myself, Joshua Lee, who is our vice president and one of my very good friends, uh, Tim Kirschbaum, and also Jim McClung. They're the four uh, horsemen of our tag, as you will. And then we have maybe uh, half a dozen other uh, volunteers that, that work with us regularly. So we also put on, like I, I mentioned, the convention. Currently, the, the RTEC convention is going to be in Texas in October. We have close to 4,000 people already signed up. 
well over 100 sponsors. And our funding comes from the sponsors. I feel like they come to our tag, they pay you know, a small fraction of what they do elsewhere. But all that money goes back into the veteran community. We don't keep it. So that's what funds our scholarships, pays the lawyer bill, pays the accountant bill. And, you know, when you think about how many people we reach, I mean, on Facebook alone, we're close to 1.5 million people that we can reach just through that platform alone. Uh, I'm sure that we're well into the, the thousands and thousands, probably closer to five figures of folks that we will influence uh, to either start their training or take them to a place where they can get themselves ready for an airline or maybe even introduce them to some of the great airlines in this country and get them a job. And it's not just airlines. It's also corporate charter, fractional cargo, helicopters, and even the military comes to our tag and recruits folks for sure. Well, with this amazingly wonderful vision to help military veterans transition to airline kind of jobs, what are the mm-hmm. biggest pain points that your group addresses? What are the biggest challenges that you have both in recruiting people and finding the right pathway for them? Yeah, I think most of that honestly been is just education. We're trying to get folks to to maybe, I don't know, sort of, I guess, I guess we're trying to dispel the myths about flight training and veterans. And there's a lot of misconceptions from the industry proper. I mean, this is a divided country, you know, 1% of the country or less than 1% of the country is in the military right now. And that number shrinks every single year. But back to the veterans, we're trying to help them understand how they can get the training. There are programs that will assist them while they're in, uh, credentialing assistance will pay them an annual amount depending on the service towards their flight training. They can use uh, their GI bill as well, but that's like a last you know ditch effort. We feel like that's the last step. So in between you have Workforce Innovation Opportunities Act that got me $8,000 paid for my commercial and my instrument. Um, you also have um, VR&E, which is basically vocational rehab. That is an extra couple years of, uh, of GI Bill. So that will pay for a veteran, even a, a veteran who's not a pilot. Once they get their private, that'll pay for all their training up to ATP. I've even seen people get type ratings with uh, VR and E. And, you know, in addition to that, you have, of course, you know, the, the GI Bill, which will pay for the private and it'll, you know, at a collegiate program, it'll pay for everything. So, you know, not only some of these programs and there's other ones I didn't mention there's you know you know special programs beyond these but it, it could fund a veteran all the way and in addition it will also give them a monthly housing allowance the VRE and the GI bill so you're getting well over $900 a month to go to school but how does that help you know airlines or companies you know we can help the veterans we can educate them but how do we educate the companies you know everybody these days is talking about diversity and I'm all for it. You know, I wrote a best-selling book and it really centers on my medic who is, I think, if not the first, maybe the second woman to ever receive the Distinguished Flying Cross for Valor. So I'm all about some diversity. Our tag is 16% women. But when I talk to these recruiting uh, departments and I say to them, I said, look, you know, I'm going to be frank. You know, women do not give you tax credits, but women sailors do. You know, African-Americans do not give you tax credits, but African-American Marines do. I mean, here's another great thing. 
our tag can provide assistance with getting DOD SkillBridge. And that's a free internship program paid for by the military. For the last 180 days of a veteran's career, they can go work for your company and it's against the law. It's illegal for you to pay them. And on top of that, when they're done, there's up to, you know, it's like 30,000 some odd dollars in tax credits that are available for certain veterans. So now I'm going to companies and saying, look, you say you want diversity. Do you really? Because I've got, you know, let's see, I don't know what there's 2 million women veterans in this country. I've got tons of of folks that can come work for you and you're not allowed to pay them and they're going to come without any debt and they're going to show up on time. We help companies create rotor transition programs or enlisted to airline programs, but some of these airlines are really taking advantage of it. In fact, Mesa Airlines right now is so enamored with the program. They're giving $30,000 to any U.S. military veteran who is honorably discharged to help them finish their training because they know that without a college degree, a lot of these enlisted to airline candidates from our tag, they're not going to be able to leave the regionals until they upgrade to captain. Isn't that really the problem with the, with the regionals right now? Not having folks stay to upgrade, they're leaving for another you know competitor and another airline. Now with our tag, 200,000 veterans leave the service every year. What would that mean to the industry if just 5% of them decided to come over and, you know, fly for the regionals? It would end the shortage tomorrow. More with Eric in a moment. Airlines Confidential wants to thank Seabury Securities, a Seabury Capital Group company, for their support. As a specialty finance and investment banking firm boasting a 25-year track record of advising aviation clients around the world, their award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge as well as an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburysecurities.com. So, Eric, of course you're aware of the ab initio programs that many Mm -hmm. airlines have started to bring people who haven't flown and ultimately get their ATP. Does RTAG work with these programs? Do you compete with them? Do you share resources? Do you ignore them? What's your relationship <laughs> with the program of these individual airlines? You know, yeah, that's great, Chris. It, it, there's, not a, there's not an airline out there that I haven't reached out to. I could share who has reached back, but it's not everybody. And it, that's sad. I, I think the Avenue programs are great. I, I think you need variety in your recruiting department. You need civilian candidates. You need, you know, uh, Embry-Riddle graduates. You need military, you need everything. But if, if I'm just looking at this from a financial standpoint, now I'm an accountant, our tech kind of checks all the blocks, only it doesn't cost you any money. I mean, the ab initio programs, what does that cost an airline to pay for all the training? Did you see Breeze is offering like the last 500 hours of time building to some of their candidates now. That's what they're advertising. I mean, that could cost well into the five figures. They'd be talking like 50, 60, maybe even $90,000. Why spend that money? Could an airline find better use of that ab initio money? Because our tag can get them those candidates for free. And by the way, guess you paid for it? You did. You pay your taxes. You already paid for it. We don't need new programs. We don't need forces to flyers. These programs already exist. We just need, you know, an awareness out there, which is what we're trying to do with the veterans. And we also need the the airlines to realize, hey, 
this is free 99. It costs you nothing. So why not take advantage of what's already out there and fill your cockpits with veterans who frankly gave up the dream that they had years ago to go serve their country? I mean, you know, veterans have been fighting these wars for 20 years. They should not have to come home and fight for a job. They're not looking for a handout. They're not looking to cut in line. They just want to get their chance. And the military pilots, I get it. They're going to go directly to the spirits. They're going to go directly to the American Airlines. I get it. But what about all of the regional carriers and some of the low-cost carriers? Where are those pilots going to, you know, when, when Americans hiring, you know, hundreds a month or Delta or, you know, why would you stay to upgrade? I mean, somebody has to stay at the regionals and it's going to be the candidates that maybe need a little bit more flight time. And we've got plenty of them for them. So, Eric, I guess that's what I'm struggling with in the context of, you know, as you pointed out, the pipeline for military pilots is shrinking. Yes, there's, right. there's a need on the other end for more pilot candidates. So why aren't these folks getting scooped up faster than you can count? And again, where are the speed bumps to get these veterans hired and moving along in their pilot career? It's a great question. So for the military fixed wing pilots, there are no speed bumps. They're getting scooped up in an incredibly fast rate. And I'm not talking about my airline, but I, I would bet you money and we can, we can bet, you know, dinner, you know, at a nice restaurant guys, we'll all get together somewhere in Virginia, but uh, I would bet you money that we'll see legacy airlines hiring uh, military pilots at 1500 hours soon. I would, I would bet money on it. So those, you know, fixed wing pilots, the Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, Coast Guard, and even the Army, because we have fixed wing too, uh, will definitely go straight to the big dance. Okay. But what about the, um, the civilians without degrees? Well, they're going to have to upgrade to captain. And so the folks that are not getting scooped up, you're talking about, those are the helicopter pilots. And then now the enlisted folks, the helicopter pilots are already commercial instrument rated pilots. But they do need some fixed wing experience. They are eligible for a restricted ATP at 750 hours. Right now, Sun Country and iAero are hiring RTAG helicopter pilots at only 750 hours. That means they have about four to 500 hours of helicopter time and the remainder of the 750 in fixed wing time. And they're going in and they're being successful. So the helicopter pilots need to transition and they need to get some more experience before they probably go up to some of the big legacies and the cargo carriers. Sure, you need to, you know, get some flight time, get some more airplane time. But they're very successful, you know, in in the uh, the regional world. I did that. I flew for Commute Air. I had maybe three hundred hours of airplane time the first time I took off in an Embraer one forty five. And let me tell you, it's easier to fly in a helicopter. <laughs> but um, but for the the enlisted folks, they need everything. Think of the E-2As, the enlisted to airline, our taggers. Think of them as civilians without debt. That's really what it comes down to. Now, I love it when, when the regionals create programs to assist them to get over the line. But these are very focused, very driven you know, candidates who've already been in the military for a while. They're probably married. They may have a, kids. They may have a mortgage. So they have an agenda. You know, They're going in there and they're going to get this stuff done. Now, um, those folks do need to basically transition like a, a, a regular civilian candidate. Again, it's just a matter of who's paying for it. Is it Sally May or is it Joe Taxpayer? And with our tag, it's Joe Taxpayer. That, that, that money 
isn't use or lose. It comes out of the taxes, whether the veterans use it or not. And a lot of times they use that money um, for, for job training that doesn't really benefit them. In an industry that needs pilots and mechanics so desperately, why not use that money for that? This is not only a, a commercial aviation uh, issue. This is, I think it's a national security issue. If our airlines are not solvent, if they're not uh, strong and, and doing good business, that's an infrastructure issue. And our government needs to address it just like our, uh, our airlines do. So getting these candidates' college degrees is often as equally important as their hours in the cockpit? If it is or it isn't, it's not for me to say. I will say that with a combination of, you know, CA, WIOA, VR&E, Skill Bridge, GI Bill, there's absolutely no reason why an R-Tagger can't not only get all of their training, can not only get all their training, including their ATP, but also have enough GI Bill left over to finish a bachelor's degree and maybe even a master's. That's how much funding, if properly applied, an R-Tagger has at their um, at their, you, you know, at their uh, on hand for them to use. So uh, a degree is is absolutely something that all the R taggers can get in addition to the training. The difference is, instead of doing it ahead of time, they're getting their training done. They're using you know the programs that they have, and then they've got enough GI Bill left over so that when they're at Air Wisconsin or you know PSA or whatever regional they're going to they're able to use that money on their overnight. So instead of going down to the bar and maybe drinking with the crew, they're in their room typing away, finishing that term paper, not only because it's important to get the education and maybe even have a backup career in case, you know, something happens, like, I don't know, say a pandemic someday, uh, but it also gives them monthly housing money. They get up, I think it's like $940 a month that they get for taking like just four classes online each month. I'm learning so much here. This is amazing, Eric. You mentioned earlier about your convention and said that you have over 4,000 people already registered for this year. Tell us more about this meeting. Who comes? Is it a networking convention? Do you teach people things? Is it a job fair? What's it all about? Yeah, so it's the Artec Convention is annual, and we this year, you know, last year we had it in San Diego. This year we're having it in Fort Worth, Texas, at the Fort Worth Convention Center. It really starts on October twenty first. We positioned Artec so that recruiters would not have to choose. We don't want to interfere with OBUP or NGPA or WAI. We, there's a great organizations. We love them. We don't want to get in their way, but we want to have our own event and our own spot. And we also made our tag. So that's the last event of the year, really before the holidays. There's not a lot of heavy airline recruiting going on, you know, from Halloween until after the first of the year. So this is really an airline or a corporate or charter, or whoever, this is your last chance to meet our taggers, to meet candidates uh, before the holidays. So the 21st is the start. We have parties all night, all over uh, the town. I, I think like some airlines will do parties. Some will partner with a charity like the Pat Tillman Foundation or something like that. And they'll have meet and, and greets and people will come out and there's free food and free drinks, business casual. It's a real fun time. Then Saturday, early in the morning, say around, I think it's, I think this year it's going to be either nine or 10 a.m. One of the two, we'll have the opening ceremonies. We'll have some dignitaries that are going to speak and we'll, you know, have the ribbon cutting. And then our tag convention will start all day Saturday and Sunday. 
And during the convention, you'll have well over 100 sponsors to hang out with and get to know. Lots of airlines will be doing interviews on sites, offering jobs right there. There's no charge for veterans, military, and their family. And we do not charge civilians. We only ask that they consider giving a donation to our veteran scholarship fund. So again, it's 501c3. It's all tax deductible. Some people give a little bit. Some people give more. But we don't push people. Civilians, come on out. You're absolutely welcome. Our tag is just, you know, it's it's a veteran charity, but it's it's just a great place to hang out. Now, during Saturday and Sunday, while the convention is going on, it'll be live streamed. There'll be obviously lots of giveaways, uh, headsets and flight training and whatnot. And then there'll also be breakout sessions that are kind of geared towards not only the industry insiders, people talking about what the trends are, you know, but also veteran specific things, how to use your GI Bill, how to make sure that, you know, you're medically sound. Um, hey, here's the, the National Guard. Maybe you want to continue serving if you haven't done your full 20 years, uh, things like that. So that'll be going the entire time. Convention ends at 5 p.m. on Saturday. And probably just it's going to close up just a bit earlier on Sunday, maybe like four to five. Now, in the evening on Saturday, there'll be more parties. But that's when we have our annual gala. And this year it's an 80s costume party. Right. So everybody, uh, you know, comes in a great costume. There's a live band. Again, more giveaways, more speeches. And we'll give away our our scholarships. Like, for instance, I think Americans giving forty thousand dollars this year. In uh, I think it's either three or four different scholarships away to veterans that again will be live streamed. So that'll be a really fun time. And Sunday, there's nothing in the evening. It's just a convention. You know, our tag, you know, it's networking. It's obviously a lot of learning. It is a job fair. But to be honest with you guys, Chris, man, it's kind of like a, a reunion disguised as a job fair. I mean, you have all these veterans who literally were thinking about becoming a truck driver. And now they're a captain at Envoy. This is changing lives. And it's important for civilians to understand this. Look, veterans need something different. After 20 years of sustained conflict and continuous deployments, you know, after last year and watching Afghanistan just kind of crumble like that, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying for a lot of us, we gave up the best years of our lives. We gave up our 20s and 30s for this. So it's great to go on on the internet and do 22 push-ups to, you know, to help veterans or whatever. But better than push-ups is a job. You want to talk about something that gives a man or a woman, I think, you know, meaning and, and dignity is the ability to look back at their family and say, you know what? We did get something out of all this. Not just serving our country and doing the right thing, but look, all these programs are now going to allow us to be like these airline pilots and mechanics and have our new life start. And so, you know, I was a medevac pilot in Afghanistan. I picked people up on the very worst day of their life and bringing them to the hospital. That was it. I didn't know what happened to them. Our tag is a natural extension of, you know, Josh and Tim and Jim and I's uh, code. We are still helping veterans. We're still helping them get to the finish line. We're still helping them start new lives, except this time we're dropping them off in your lap. We're giving them to the civilian companies out there and we're saying, please take care of our friends. And that's the crux of why we do our tag. So, Eric, you've been, uh, you're obviously a very effective and passionate advocate for our tag. I'm going to ask you to step out of that for just a moment. 
we get lots of que- we get lots of questions from junior pilots trying to sort out their career choices. You know, should I okay. stay at the regional? Should mm-hmm. I move to a ULCC? Should I wait for the opportunity to join one of the major carriers? You've pretty much done all that. So as you're working with our tag candidates and for our listeners, you know, how do you go about making the right choices for your career in the cockpit? Wow, that's a that's a big question. But I do it so often. I, I'm 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 pretty confident that I can give you what I think is right. Um, first, I ask them what's important to them. You know, everybody's different. Some people want money. Some people want time off with their family. I think it's important before you tell people what to do, you find out what they want. And veterans, maybe maybe they're not as you know hard charging to go to Delta and be a wide body captain. Sometimes they're 40 years old and, you know, the dream for them is to just be at home all the time. So that's the first thing I do. Um, I ask them, you know, what's important. If it's time off, I give them a different answer. But once you know that, it's pretty easy. There is some basic advice I got a long time ago that I've stuck, you know, I've stuck to. Fly as much as you can until you get your ATP. Then fly as much as you can at your regional until you can upgrade. Then uh, fly as much as you can to get at least a thousand hours of turbine PIC. Uh, then apply everywhere until you get hired by an airline who has the same name on the side of the plane as is on your check. <laughs> you know, um, and that's what I did. You know, I, I wanted to come to American, but I knew that uh, not having a degree was going to be a hindrance. I was going to have to drive on, and I had to make that choice. Between staying at a regional and upgrading or moving on to a low-cost carrier, I, I worked for Frontier and I had a great time at Frontier as well. But, you know, I would say that if you can, the most basic thing is this. Whether you like money or whether you like your loved ones or you like both, live where you fly. Stay in base if you can. There's nothing wrong with commuting and that's fine. But if you can live in a base, you know, make sure that you you educate yourself not only about which airlines have a, you know, a domicile near you, but, but which, which of those domiciles are flying the most? Because ultimately you want to have at least the option to fly. So we have a great resource on our tag. It's a domicile map, which has different layers. Like you can actually see, you know, uh, military units in there. You can see other, you know, different layers, helicopter companies and whatnot, but you can go on there, look at the map, ask your significant other, where do you want to live? And you can pick. So live in a live in base if you can. But, you know, when the music stops, I mean, Ben, you know better than I do. Chris, you do too. When the music stops, do you really want to be, um, you know, an SIC on a 145? Nothing wrong with that. And if you're an R-tagger with a full retirement and healthcare paid for, you can afford to do that and live very comfortably. But for me, uh, I would say continue moving on until you get to your destination airline. If that means you know staying as a captain at a Piedmont until you can get enough turbine PIC to apply to FedEx because they want that turbine PIC, then that's what you got to do. And really, if they're trying to sort out their career, these junior pilots, they got to ask questions. And you got to find a resource for a place that, that helps you do that. Online's a great resource. I mean, you know, uh, P- Airline Pilot Central is great, but maybe step out of your comfort zone and reach out to some folks and get get more than one opinion. You know, I didn't apply to American until I talked to at least three dozen people. 
And I, some people's like, oh, it's awful. And some people are like, oh, it's the greatest, greatest thing ever. So I think educating yourself is important. But for me personally, if I was talking to an R tagger, I would say, hey, man, or hey, woman, <laughs> uh, go and get to the regional and then, you know, go to the first major airline to hire you. And if you're happy there, great. But if you're not uh, living in base, perhaps you need to look at a legacy carrier or somebody like that. You know, at Frontier, I made it a ton of money. <laughs> you can get rich at a low cost carrier. A lot of people turn their noses up at it. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. They got great contracts. Sometimes they got a uh, great quality of life. They've got great money. So for me, if you're at a regional carrier that you can drive to and you're a captain, that's a win. If you're at a low cost carrier that you can do the same, that's an even bigger win. If you're at a legacy or a big cargo company, man, that's the coup de gras. It really is. Uh, so I just wish folks, you know, all the best come to the convention because that's the place where you're not going to pay $100 to get in. You're not even going to pay money to get in the lines to wait for the recruiters. You don't have to pay anything. You know, maybe you give a little donation if you're a civilian, but whatever, come out and, and rack and stack them because everybody's looking at their competition right across the way. If they don't want you, go to the next table. I bet they will. <laughs> you know? This is great, Eric. Before we let you go, you know, a lot of airline people listen to this show mm -hmm. and many of them I'm expecting are going to be very excited about some of the things you said. Tell mm -hmm. all our listeners if they haven't yet spoken to you or if they don't yet know about our tag, how do they find you? How do they learn about the convention and how do they get hold of you? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find out there. Um, I'm all over the, uh, the internet. Uh, but you can find me uh, at our, our website, all the social media platforms. I'm very open to speaking with, uh, with businesses and companies. I don't charge, if, obviously, for my time. I, I just want them. Look, I'll be honest with you. If I go and Spirit calls me up and says, we want to start an RTP, guess what? If I make it so they no longer have to work very hard to recruit, they're going to hire more veterans. If a big flight school hires a bunch of R-taggers as CFIs and for six months they're not paying them a salary and they can go out and buy a whole bunch of new multis, then they're going to hire more veterans. So come find me. It's My name is Eric, E-R-I-K, not E-R-I-C, but E-R-I-K at R-T-A-G dot O-R-G, Eric at R-tag dot org. You can find me there. Send me a message. Hit me up on LinkedIn, Eric Sabiston. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to chat with anybody who's excited about helping veterans. This is fantastic, Eric. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for what you're doing for this country as well. You've been a terrific guest. You're a great spokesman for our tag, and we wish you Godspeed going forward to bring lots of veterans into this great industry. Thanks, Ben and Chris. It's been tremendous talking to you. Thank you so much. We're so pumped for the convention. I hope we get to meet in person soon. And thanks to the listeners for taking some time out of their day and uh, listen to an old helicopter pilot talk. We'll be right back with more Airlines Confidential. Promotional consideration by thearchive.net, the hub of the history of commercial aviation. Thearchive.net is now boarding. This portion of Airlines Confidential is sponsored in part by Aerodata, the leading edge in flight performance data. 
visit aerodata.co. Aerodata is a Garmin company. Thanks again to Eric and thanks to the great work that our tag is doing for our veterans and our airlines. He took our questions. Now we'll take a few of yours, but not before we thank Aerodata. Load planning for any operation is complex and time-consuming. Aerodata can help. Their load planning solutions computerize and automate the entire load planning process and enable airlines to maximize their payloads and ultimately eliminate potential delays by flagging flights that require extra attention. The solutions also integrate with reservation systems, cargo vendors, baggage scanning, container operations, and more. Visit aerodata.co to learn more. Ben, this first question is right up your alley. It's from Nick, and he's writing from an undisclosed location. I hope he's okay. Hey, Ben and Chris, I love our industry and want to do more geeking out. What are your go-to websites for airline analytics? I enjoy looking at airline financials quarterly, but is there a one-stop shop to learn more? Great question, Nick. I don't know of a one-stop shop, but you can certainly find out about all kinds of airlines on the web. I think looking at airline financials quarterly is a great place to shop. Every public airline obviously reports their quarterly earnings. They post the presentation they do at their earnings call on their website and the script. That's a really good source for current data about what the airlines think are important and sort of the initiatives going on. I would say the best site all along is the Cirium website, C-I-R-I-U-M. They compile all kinds of data from a lot of government sources and put it together in a very usable site. That's the best site for traffic and schedule data and some revenue data. It doesn't have as much about aircraft orders and pilot and flight attendant hiring mandatory retirements and things like that. I don't know of a single site that I can recommend that sort of has a good summary of the aircraft side of the business and the hiring side of the business, but I'm certainly going to look for that and hopefully be able to bring back the show a recommendation for that. Chris, do you know a shop for that sort of stuff? Well, I would add Airlines for America. Uh, They put out a lot of data and a lot of good reports. Um, So the A4A site would be... I think it's airlines.org. And our friend uh, John Heimlich's been a regular guest talking about some of the kind of analysis that they do. So they have some good reports as well as you know monthly and quarterly data. I believe the Aerospace Industries Association also might be a good source for aircraft data. Obviously, they have a much broader membership and they're going to get into defense kinds of issues as well. But on the commercial side, they probably have a pretty good line of sight um, into some of the manufacturing kind of data as well. And then, Ben, this next question is from Frank from Phoenix. I've got some thoughts, but I know you spent a lot of time looking at this issue, so I'll throw it to you to start. Hey, guys, love the show. I've always wondered why the airlines handle boarding priority the way that they do. I certainly understand why families, veterans, disabled, and others often get to board early, 
But otherwise, if I were designing this process, folks in the back would be group one, then I'd bore the rest of the plane from the back on towards the front of the cabin, who would be last. Since airlines usually board from the front of the plane, wouldn't that make more sense? Alternatively, narrow bodies could board window seats first, then middle, then aisle. I'm sure there's a reason it's not done that way, but maybe you could explain. Frank, I don't know that I can explain it, but I certainly understand it. Airlines have tried literally everything in this space. Everything you're talking about, boarding from the back, boarding from windows and then aisles. And what they found is that by measuring and doing industrial engineering studies and everything, that there isn't a single way that just works a lot better than other ways. A great example of this is Southwest. At Southwest, there are no seat assignments, so you'd think there'd be even more pressure to get on the plane first. And yet people board and everybody ends up getting a seat and it doesn't take them any longer to sort of pick where they sit and people will just sit in the aisle before there's someone in the windows and some go to the back of the plane and some want to be right up front so if southwest can turn a plane quickly with virtually no sort of formal organization other than board by the number you got which was when you checked in i think it sort of shows that there isn't an obvious way to do this now I think that most airlines, this is a comment, I think most airlines boarding is more complicated than it needs to be. I agree with you that early boarding of people who have a hard time getting on board or veterans and things make some sense, but you could group that into one. Airlines often also give early boarding to their most frequent flyers or people within an alliance tier or something. But then they also may have seven or eight boarding categories after that. I flew on one airline where I looked at my boarding pass and I had group one and I thought that's good. And I was like the sixth or seventh category to board with my group one boarding pass. So I think a lot of it is more complicated. And what happens is airlines add things to protect certain groups, which all have, you know, good intentions at front, but in the end, it ends up being very complicated. So I think the biggest thing airlines could do is just simplify their boarding, have fewer categories and get everyone on quicker. But there isn't sort of a a way that suggests back to front, windows first or anything that demonstrably works better than others. And that's why I think it's not done that way often because sometimes like the window first, then middles, then aisles, you wouldn't want to separate a family of three boarding together, for example. So some of these ideas, while they make sense in concept, don't work as well in practical terms. I know that didn't answer your question perfectly, but I hope it helped. So I've got a couple points to add, Ben. One, overhead bin space. Two, overhead bin space. <laughs> three, overhead bin space. So um, I think there would be pandemonium if you know that executive platinum or diamond medallion or the top tier customers who have kind of quote, earn the right to board early and get overhead bin space for their bags 
if you boarded from the back and people took the bin space and first and up near the front or whatever else, it would be pandemonium. I don't think the flight attendants want to be more police-like than they already are with regard to some of this. So I, I don't think just an open seating call like what's being suggested by Frank would work in the context of providing uh, adequate space for all passengers. Second, and I think we've talked about this too in the context of managing expectation, and it's related to the overhead bin space, but that executive platinum or diamond member who maybe bought a last minute ticket and there's only a seat in the middle and the back to get on board, he or she still thinks of themselves as a diamond or a platinum or whatever, even if they bought a cheap ticket or bought a quote, a lousy seat in the back, they still want to be treated like they're top tier. And so the early boarding or on and those kinds of things allow airlines to recognize them in some way. So I think there'd be a lot of a lot of pushback um, from your top tier passengers if you uh, did what Frank was suggesting. Well, in top tier are called that because they disproportionately drive many airlines' revenue lines, right? Yeah. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. I think Chris has a plane to catch, and hopefully for his sake and the rest of the people on his plane at least, it's not going to be delayed. My shout-out this week goes to Travelers United. Travelers United is a passenger advocacy group that's been around for a long time. But they've been more aggressive as of late. They publish some really great things that I don't always agree with, to be fair, but are consistently focused on having a better experience for airline customers. Their latest is sort of a missive talking about how airline cancellations should result in airline flight credits that don't expire, like we've seen Southwest already do. So I really like what Travelers United does. I'm glad they exist. And again, I don't always agree with them, but I think having a constant voice thinking about what's happening to the airline customer is a great thing. That's a good one. And since this show's dropping right after Labor Day, I'm going to give a Labor Day shout out of sorts to all the great men and women who work for airlines, airports, ground handling companies, TSA and ATC, anyone who helps get an airplane in the air or on the ground. You defy gravity and perform miracles every day and we appreciate you. Can't say more than perform miracles because you're right about that, Chris. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.